Welcome into a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, it's been a minute since we uh, did a podcast. Yeah, it's the first one in season, which is kind of ridiculous, but here we are. We're going to make up for it right now. The bye week gave us this opportunity, at least myself, uh, to, to have a little time to come down to uh, Casa de Ziskin and record this. <laughs> Enjoy your free ball and pod. Hopefully, people are, are tuning into that. Uh, got yeah. to hear Will Whalen's voice not too long ago. That was nice. That was a hell of a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you guys were having fun. Yeah, a little bit outrageous for sure. <laughs> Always like when Ryan Koenigsberg's on there, and, and obviously Tyler Murray does a great job, kind of steering that ship away from uh, disaster. From disaster, exactly. Yeah. Buff Stampede Radio is again sponsored by the Everpillow, which is sold at InfiniteMoon.com. Chosen as the best pillow by the Washington Post, the Everpillow is ridiculously comfortable and fully customizable to match your sleep style. Just add or remove the natural fill for the perfect spinal alignment. Say goodbye to morning kinked necks and aches and pain. The Everpillow helps employ former homeless addicts and felons, giving them a second chance. A great pillow with a great purpose. Support a Colorado company that loves the buffs. Go to InfiniteMoon.com and use the coupon code COLORADO if you want to buy two full-size pillows for 20% off, or you could still use the code GOBUFFS to receive 10% off your purchase. Just when it looked like the honeymoon period might be ending for Mel Tucker and his staff after that loss against Air Force, they go on the road in Win and Tempe for the first time in program history, and all is right with the world again as far as Buff Nation is concerned. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> probably be th- this way a lot this season. There's probably going to be a little bit of a roller coaster. Just kind of comes with the territory of having a new staff. But I mean, if you look at it through four games, we're sitting at three and one, and one of those wins is Nebraska. I think every yeah. single every single CU fan would take that. And if I said, okay, you're three and one, what's the one loss that that would be yeah. easier to uh, to swallow? Uh, yeah. I think it would be Air Force, right? Yeah, definitely. So CU, like you mentioned, is 3-1, and one, just one win shy of what the odds makers set as the Buffaloes over-under on wins for the 2019 season. What, what are your just general thoughts after the first four games of the Mel Tucker era? Has anything surprised you? I would say not a ton, but definitely how we finished games. Uh, I thought this it would take a little bit of time for Mel Tucker to get that kind of mindset into the program. You know, it's not his kids yet, so it's tough sometimes to – get people to think your way or for everybody to buy in i mean even in the air force game that they ended up losing c's been the better team in the second half in every game especially in the fourth quarter so that's that bodes well for the future i think so regardless of how this season turns out and you know what ups and downs we see once he gets his system in here and his guys you have to feel pretty good about his ability to make second half adjustments how poised he is in stressful situations and how know how ready this team is for anything in the fourth quarter i mean conditioning wise they look better than everyone they've been more dominant in the fourth quarter they look ready to go and that's typically you're going to win a lot of football games if you're less tired than the other team shout out to drew wilson because i forget where i said this but it's like every off season you hear this is the toughest we've ever gone through yeah and this is legitimately the first time i can say you can see Mm -hmm the strength and conditioning program out on the field in the second half of games, and it's yeah. very evident. Yeah, we talked about this last night on Freeball, too. Being able to actually say we're the best-conditioned team on the field and not know you're lying is just an yeah. improvement from the program perspective. Like, we've been, as you said, we've been saying that for years, and you could tell it wasn't true. This year, through four games at least, it's definitely true. And the discipline is there. I mean, it's not hasn't been perfect. Uh, they've yeah. had... Uh, some stretches here with flags but generally you can just see the coaching of this team show itself and i know it's only four games but it's pretty clear this is the best coaching staff that they've had since gary barnett got fired definitely i mean the connection with the players first off how they control the game how they make adjustments how they handle the refs honestly i mean just everything is so much more professional and calculated they just seem ready all the time. Like nothing, nothing that nothing has come up that they're not prepared for. That they haven't seen before that they that they you know just weren't ready to see. And the no excuses has continued even uh, when they have faced adversity. 
after the Arizona State postgame press conference, uh, was walking down to the field, and Brian and I were hanging out by some of the administrators, and one of them happened to ask Tyson Summers, what were you going to do if one more guy got hurt? He says, we'd go to Isaiah Lewis. We'd go to Mark Perry. Even in that scenario, with no recorders in front of his face, like it's not just lip service with these guys. Yeah, and Isaiah Lewis played. He was in on the, I want to say it was the third ASU touchdown when they tied the game at 21. He was actually one of the guys in pursuit um, on the left side of the field there. So they're getting guys in the game. It's, you know, they, you don't have a choice. I mean, guys get hurt, obviously. And it, I will say, watching the game live, the injuries seemed so devastating. But a couple of those guys watching it back on film now, for I've watched it two different times, a couple of those guys came back and yeah. looked like – Delrick, I didn't remember Delrick coming back in. He did, yeah. Yeah, and, and he hit the quarterback very hard on a play in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, I think he's okay. I think he'll be back out there without too much concern. Yeah. Onu was only out for a little bit. Yeah. Mangum actually came back in later right. in the game as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that leaves Mustafa Johnson and LaVisca Chenault, just your two best players yeah, in no question here. Yeah, and Chris Miller too. That that one does concern me. Yeah, and, and I was actually walking behind him. He was uh, – not moving very fast after the game, but uh, I saw Drew Wilson come up and pump him up and say, hey, we got the bye week to get you healthy. It's kind of hard to believe. We're actually already a third of the way through the regular season. Yeah. It goes quick once you get in these games. Who would be your early offensive and defensive MVPs? Man, offensive, you probably have to go with Tony Brown right now. That's um, who I have written down. Yeah, I mean, I think Montez has largely been pretty good too. Um, no one has been consistent through four games i don't think i would say at this point but for him to have 150 and three touchdowns on the road without lavisca protecting him that was a big game and the game winner against right. nebraska or right. the what was that yeah no that was the game tying touchdown late mm-hmm. yeah it'd be hard to go against him yeah i mean he just made big plays and stepped up when the team really needed him i mean you know lavisca's obviously hasn't been able to play a ton and for him to be a legitimate number one guy with LaVisca not standing next to him has been big so far. Defensively, Mikhail Unu? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the obvious one. Um, in other games, other people have stepped up. I mean, I think Darian Rakestraw definitely won the game for the bus on the defensive side of the ball in game four. But, yeah, Onu's got seven turnovers. I think it's just five, right? Five, Okay. And, I mean, he almost had an interception in the ASU game, almost yeah. made another. Yeah, and that's when I think play. he got hurt because it almost looked like a whiplash situation. He yeah. came down pretty hard. Pretty hard, yeah. I mean, he's saved us in a couple games for sure. I mean, just we haven't stopped too many people in terms of forcing them to punt <laughs> so right. far this season. There's been a lot of turnovers. where They have 11, right, through four games, I think, is the number right that now. That sounds right. And he's responsible for almost half of those if five is the yeah. correct number. That's absurd. Yeah, they might want to try getting the other team's punter out there in the first half at some point. Yeah, yeah prob- it seems like good. that tweet comes out very late in the game. <laughs> yeah. The other team is punting for the first time. Yeah, the bye week comes obviously at a good time. We just talked about all those injuries. It doesn't sound like any of them are season ending. Mel Tucker has not come out and talked specifically about Lavisca Chenault and Mustafa Johnson's, um, you know, their their status for the Arizona game. He said that he'd have something for us later in the week, but the coaches are going on the road recruiting. So the earliest you'd hear anything on those two guys would be on Monday. With LaVisca Chenault, very hush-hush. It makes sense. I get you're not trying to advertise to another team exactly where they can hit him to possibly knock him out of the game. But I, I totally understand the fan base. You know, just kind of wants to know a little bit like what to yeah. expect going forward with him. I mean, I, frankly, I don't think he's been healthy this year, period. He was clearly banged up in the Nebraska game. Yeah. Because he's not the type that's going to just loaf around if he's not in pain. Yeah. No, not at all. And, I mean, he's there's definitely been lingering stuff going on with him pretty much the whole time he's been here, honestly, but especially this year and the second half of last season, too. So it's tough. I mean, obviously, you'd like to get someone that dynamic on the field consistently, but at this point, it looks tough. Mustafa was in a boot. I saw that on TV. They always do that precautionary, though. We don't know if it's a high ankle. That could be a real issue. But Are we going to get – is the Pac-12 going to say something about that play? It would have happened already. That was bad. Yeah. I mean, that has to be – they have to do – if all these other – you can suspend guys for targeting and that kind of stuff. I mean, that was blatant. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a football play. 
He was he meant to do that, and that should not be a thing that you can just do in a football game in 2019. Couldn't agree with you more. Given that the Buffs are uh, going to have back-to-back road games at Oregon and Washington State, just how important is CU's next game against Arizona at, at Folsom Field? I mean, for their bowl eligibility, it's certainly huge. Um, and if they're going to compete for the Pac-12 South, yeah. I hate the must-win mm-hmm. saying, but it kind of is. Yeah, I mean, yes. There's not. You you look at the schedule, and there's a lot of tough games. I mean, even in the, even in a conference that wouldn't be described as amazing this year by any stretch there's a lot of teams that are solid football you know and we're kind of in that realm as well so there's not a lot of games you can walk out and say okay this is a game we should win Arizona is about as close to that as you're going to get even though matchup wise Khalil Tate is never fun for this program um so yeah I mean they're probably not going to have a realistic shot against Oregon or Washington State now, obviously UCLA just won up there so it's possible but you know, you definitely got to take care of those home games against the teams that are definitely middling in the conference. What's the over-under going to be? 70 points? <laughs> high. Probably not high enough. You know, I mean, <laughs> I took the under in that ASU-Colorado game. Oops. And yeah, yeah, that wasn't even close. <laughs> what was it? 49 and a half. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, if we're giving up that many points to ASU's offense and we're scoring that many points on ASU's defense – I have a feeling this one. I mean, it's kind of somehow it'll be like twenty-four to ten. You know, like that's just how football seems to work sometimes. But definitely should be a ton of points scored in that one. We got a ton of questions from fans, so this is going to be more of a mailbag heavy show. A little bit of recruiting news here: Josh Watts from Pro Kick Academy in Australia is set to join the Buffs and replace Kenny SU's punter in twenty twenty. Independence Community College cornerback Jalen Stryker has also joined the Buffs commitment list since our last podcast. That puts the Buffs at seventeen commitments. When you hear Pro Kick Australia, you just say, Yes please. Yep, thank you. Yeah, it just seems like it's a guaranteed success. <laughs> so I mean listen, our special teams this year has kind of been an unsung hero, basically flawless. Um, throughout the season so far which is awesome um except we have two kick return fumbles i guess yeah so no. which happen to be the longest kick returns that they've had probably both touchdowns if they don't fumble. well lavisco i think was he was getting tackled as he fumbled yeah but katie i think it's 50 50 he had that he that's a house call if he yeah. gets through there so you I can criticize him yeah perfect. you do want to have better ball security it is kind of a fluky thing, just how the ASU guy got his hand in there at the last second. It wasn't even really his hand. It was like he his ran elbow into or him something? with his shoulder. Okay. Yeah, it was like an accident almost. But he was kind, kind of crazy. flying by in the other direction. Right. Yeah. Anyways, obviously but, uh, special teams you know, yeah. has been big. So if we can continue that stretch um, and just get someone to come in and replace Kenny and feel confident with that, it's obviously good for a program that's trying to get bowl eligibility. Strikers, one of two Juco corners they have committed, and they bring in Nigel Bethel Jr. from Miami, the transfer. Uh, yeah, you just want to bring in a lot of guys there and, and kind of see how it shakes out, obviously. Jalen Stryker is an excellent name, however. Yes, and he is. Uh, he's got a great mentality, very confident kid you lose abrams after this year and you know i think blackman did really well in camp miller you like his potential but man he's always hurt right he's banged up again uh so yeah you got to bring in a lot of bodies there we've heard good things about Tariq luckett uh kj trujillo saw his first defensive action actually gonna write a story on him you know he has 11 siblings really yeah oh my god (laughs) But anyway, so you, you got some guys there that you feel good about, but I mean, just kind of unproven across the board. So yeah, they're pro- you probably be most comfortable if one of those Juco guys came in and won a starting role next year. We all know suns out, guns out. Mel Tucker, the heat's up, the Cavs are out. This drew a lot of attention, Tyler. Do you even really need to ask me about this question? You know me well enough to know what my answer to this question is going to be. Why don't you just say my answer for me? Well, we got a question from Ralphie's running, and it's going to segue us into the mailbag. He said, what did you guys think of Mel and Shorts? Any insight on the Cavs? I really have no idea what you're going to say, Tyler. Just say it. What do I wear every day? Basketball shorts. Yeah. So what's my answer going to be? Do your job. Do it well. And I don't care what you're wearing. Period. Okay. Why does anybody else care? Well, pregame, again, I've said this before. When you go to ASU, you're like covering the game from space, basically. There's <laughs> airplanes buzzing over your head in the Sky Harbor Airport. 
I, so you, you break out the binoculars. Otherwise, you're basically blind covering the game. And I just happened to see he was wearing shorts in pregame. And I said to, to Brian, I was like, Mel's in shorts. I wonder if he's going to come out the game. And that was the end of it. It wasn't like something that was dominating my thinking. And then all these national writers started running with it. And then on Tuesday, their first practice after the ASU game, a Denver Post writer came up. The Denver Post is like never around. They drive all the way up just to ask him about that. CBS TV is there just, I think, because of the shorts. So other people thought it was a big deal. We got asked a question about it. So It just blows my mind. <laughs> That's really what, what a big win in a big spot in a place we never win. And the only thing that anyone cares about is that the football coach wears shorts in a desert. It's sadly, it is journalism in 2019, Tyler. Like, come on, man. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Moving along, Buff Stampede mailbag question from Black and Gold Josh. How would you grade the first quarter of the season, offense, defense, special teams, coaching, both overall and against expectations? So definitely going to have to have two different grades here, mm-hmm. one based on just their overall production and then their your expectations on them coming into the season. What do you think on offense? So offense overall, I'd probably go B minus, C plus, B minus, probably. CSU, big result. Obviously, they gave up a lot of points, and that game was never really in question in the second half. They scored. They, they kind of put CSU away every time they thought it was going to be close. So good result there. Nebraska, obviously the first half was terrible. Second half, very good. Third game, disastrous. Uh, fourth game, flawless. So overall, definitely a roller coaster ride. I would say probably – you know, B minus C plus average there against expectations. D. I think we thought the offense was going to be high powered at all times this year. That definitely hasn't happened. The consistency has been an issue, not necessarily from game to game, although it has been, but within the game. Uh, ASU obviously flawless performance. They played well throughout all four quarters. Uh, we like to see that a little bit more consistently. Yes, yeah, CU ranks number six in the Pac-12 in scoring offense, number eight in yards per game. So I will go B minus. I think is what you said as well, right? For mm-hmm. for their grade, based on preseason expectations, agree. You can't give higher than a C, but I, I will give a C or a C minus here because it is a new staff. You're running a multiple offense with a lot of wrinkles. And Jay Johnson mentioned this after the Air Force game. He said, "Look, it's." A lot of times it's 10 out of 11 guys doing their job. Well, that's what happens when you implement a new system. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of parts within this offense to learn. The offensive line has been kind of what I expected, a better group. Yeah. But you're still, Coach Cap mentioned over and over again, they're just not consistent. Yeah, I mean, Air Force was a big step back. Um, but the ASU game, that's the best I've seen them play in a long time. So if you get that kind of consistency moving forward, yeah, the offense is really going to start clicking because they were – Truly phenomenal in that ASU game, for sure. And your preseason expectations, you were expecting a healthy LaVisca Chenault out there. Right. So that's part of it, too. Mm -hmm. Definitely. What about defense? Defensively, I would say C-. minus. I think we kind of knew, well, okay, overall C-. minus. I mean, second halves, they've been terrific. Um, Air Force, I think there was only three points in the second half until overtime. They only give up 10 points in the second half to ASU. And then CSU obviously didn't do that much in the second half either. So they found a way, whether through turnovers or other means, to shut teams down in the second half and give themselves a chance, which is probably the most that we could have asked for for this offense, or sorry, for this defense going into the year. CU ranks 10th in the conference in both scoring defense and total defense. That's exactly where I expected them to be, to be yeah, exactly. completely honest with yeah. you. Overall, based on the production, I agree with you. I said C- minus here. But based on preseason expectations, I actually say B-. minus. Yeah, I agree. They've been, especially given Mustafa mm-hmm. has been got hurt in this game and also hasn't been probably exactly what we expected from him so far outside of the Nebraska game. Um, I think overall, a lot of the other guys have been better than expected. I mean, I think... Delrick Abrams has been very good so far this year. I think Michaela Amu obviously has been very good. You know, Maddox has been a mixed bag, which is to be expected. It's, you know, the death pieces have been better. Rakeshaw obviously came in and helped out better than we expected. Chris Miller 
you know, came in for a struggling Makai and has been largely pretty good. Akil Jones has had a nice season so far in limited, you know, limited time. And with Mustafa out, the D-line, I thought, did a very nice job, especially against the run against ASU. So you got to give them credit for that. They have five interceptions through four games. Last season, in 12 games, they had eight total. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, my grade crept up into the Bs. And I think they only had like one or two fumble recoveries, too. Didn't they have, I think they only had 13 turnovers last year. Not going to win a lot of games when that's the case. Yeah, or 14, somewhere in that range. And they were, we talked about it earlier, they already have 11, obviously. That's going to keep you in some ball games. Special teams. I mean, we expected them to be good. I don't know if my expectations and the overall grade would really be different here. A minus? Yeah, I mean, yeah. A couple fumbles on kickoff return? Yeah, and that's. And honestly, both of those, they found a way to cover up. Um, yeah. You know, they scored on KD, but they ended up winning the game. The Nebraska game, they didn't take advantage of that. Well, the blocked either. PAT, too, in Air yeah, Force. That was... That's true. That's a big one, for mm-hmm. sure. And, but they did it. Well, no, they didn't block that. He just missed an extra point in that game. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I think largely you're, we're, you know, getting picky. I mean, you haven't missed a field goal. you just the extra point that got blocked. Punting has been – I mean, I, we looked yesterday. Alex Kenny's 24th in the nation in punt average right now, and it doesn't really seem like he's had a monster game yet or had a lot of situations where he's been able to fully get a kickoff. A lot of inside the 20 punts, you know, mm-hmm. pinning them deep and stuff. So, overall, very happy overall with the special teams. I would say A. And Dimitri Stanley hasn't made you want to pull out your hair yet through four games like no. Ronnie Blackman did seemingly at some point in every game last Not year. Not even close. And KD, despite having a fumble, I mean, he was very electric in the ASU game, returning kicks. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was multiple times where he was pretty close to taking one of the house. Coaching. I mean, I said A-. minus. There's some issues with the play call or a situation here, but what yeah. media member or armchair quarterback doesn't have a little bit of that? I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I'm a football expert, but I know what this staff inherited in terms of talent, depth, mm-hmm. where the mentality of this program was when he took over. And so with all that stuff being improved, I've been pretty pretty impressed. Definitely. I mean, I, th- I think if you ask Jay Johnson, I think he would take back some of the stuff they did in the Air Force game. That's the only major criticism I would have of the staff so far is that they didn't take what Air Force was giving them on a continuous basis in that game. Besides that, I think they've been excellent. You know, we're sitting at 3-1. and one. I think the mindset of the team is the more impressive thing than anything else, honestly. How they've battled through injuries, how they've battled through tough situations in fourth quarters and, you know, putting themselves in a hole early in the game. It's all been impressive. So, I mean, you definitely have to put somewhere in the A category for me. ATX Buff asked... Why do you think this staff seems so much better at making halftime adjustments? Are they just more competent, or are they less stubborn with the original game plan? It's a good question. I'm not really sure we know exactly what it is. I definitely think the competency Jesus, thing, is, is, uh, is up there for sure. Um, you know, part of it is also the McIntyre staff had to spend a lot of energy making the team not embarrassing. And that's part of it, too. And then, you know, so those first few years, it's tough. You know, obviously, when they got to the point in the last three years, they, they were better. And they, the, the last two seasons, especially, the results weren't good when they shouldn't have been worrying about those things. But I'll give the McIntyre staff credit for that, that they had a lot more work to do when they got here. But definitely, in terms of in-game handling of pressure situations there's no doubt like no one could make an argument other than mel tucker has you know put mike to the woodshed there it's one thing to to as a coach know what adjustments need to be made and another thing for you to get that message across to the players and actually have them executed out there it's easier said than done it really has been impressive d how 888 asked a lot of us thought we'd be two and two or possibly three and one at this point what are your thoughts on the win slash loss total for the season now? We Great. both said five and seven. Yeah. Would you I mean, change that? I want to, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Just because, I mean, what we've lost 11 straight to get bowl eligibility. Is that right? I'm pretty sure 11 straight chances to get. It's, it's a big win. number. Yeah. And so until I see it happen, I'm not really ready to open my heart up to the, <laughs> to the consideration that it'll happen. 
But yeah, I mean, I think this staff gives this team a pretty legitimate shot to find its way to six wins at this point. If you put a gun to my head and said, you like legitimately have to say what you think this team is going to do in terms of win loss total at this point, I would probably say six and six. Yeah, I think that's probably, if you were looking at the math of the whole deal, that's probably the most likely scenario at this point for sure. Shai in debuff asked, winning which game on the football schedule would make you drink the Kool-Aid on this Buffs team? Which games will it take for national pundits to take a couple swigs? For me, honestly, it was them going down to Tempe and scoring 34 <laughs> points against a team that gave up 21 through the first it's three games. It's hilarious that you said that because that was my answer too. It just happened. That was going to be my answer. Yeah. It literally just happened. Um, we'd never won there. They are a team that obviously – they're not elite. I don't think they're really a top 25 team, but they're a pretty good team, especially defensively. To go in there and win that game gives you confidence that you can beat a lot of teams in this league, and that's what's important. To be able to have that win on your resume, four wins into your career, or four games into your career here, when the previous three coaching staffs could never do it, we had lost 29 straight games on the road against ranked teams. And in his first attempt at doing it, he succeeded. That's the type of win that gives me confidence for this program moving forward. And honestly, I could say that regardless of what happens down the stretch of this particular season. For national pundits, they're not spending a lot of time talking about a team that finishes 6-6. Six and six. So I would say you know, you beat Arizona and then you win either of those next two at Oregon or Washington yeah. State. Not saying it's all that likely, but I mean, we just saw what Washington State did on Saturday. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, the thing with the Pac-12 is anything can happen in any single game. That's what's great and also terrible about the league. I, I'm, I'm there's, gonna, if they're six and two, yeah, you know what I mean. People but, will start paying yeah. attention, but I'm kind of getting annoyed with this fan base. Always talking, about they this always kind annoy of stuff. you, Tyler. Well, it's <laughs> they're like people were crushing Brian for not putting them in the top twenty-five. After the People are crushing win. you yeah. for and me, for what it's worth, for picking ASU to win this game. Come on. Like, we're 3-1, and one and we lost to Air Force. We're not going to be ranked. Right. Give me a break. It's well, not Brian actually me. did put him in his top 25. Right, right. Well, the this pre- time. Yeah, yeah the previous time. week, you know. Yeah, in Nebraska, after Nebraska is when they didn't do it exactly. But it's, you know, like, it's okay, guys. We don't need to be ranked in the top 25 at this point. The goals are different. We have other things to do. If we, if you win, it'll take care of itself. Just win games. And just to let you in on a secret, my prediction, your prediction, means absolutely zero when the team goes out there on the field. So yeah. It's not anything to get worked up about. And also, my prediction is not what I want to happen. Do people not understand that? Like, if, 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 if it was what I wanted to happen, I would put 100 to zero every single week. That's not what the job is. Right. You have to make a prediction on what you think will happen. I'm more than happy to be wrong. In fact, I'm one in three so far this year, and damn, it feels good. Well, what's funny is, under Mike McIntyre, aside from early in 16, all our records with the score predictions was amazing. It was like 11-1, and 10-2 at the worst, and it's because... They beat the teams that you expected them to, and they never beat the teams you didn't expect them to. Right. So the fact our record is wrong and CU's three and one, that's great. People should be excited about how wrong yeah, we are. Don't worry about me. Like I promise my ego isn't that strong that I'm like, oh man, I really wish I was three and one in my record predictions and the buffs were one and three or two and two is that what it would have been. Two and two, just so I could say I'm right. Like, no, that's not how it goes. <laughs> Andrew S. Buff one asked. My homemade crystal ball tells me we're going to win two of the following games. Which of the four do you guys think we're most likely to win? And he's got at Oregon, at home against Washington, at home against USC, and on the road at Utah. Do you want me to start here? Go for it. Okay, so first of all, if we win two of these four games, we're winning the Pac-12 South. So we might as well get that out of the way right now. Like Those are probably the four toughest games remaining on the schedule speaking of kool-aid andrew s buff is uh, already drunk on it here yeah i mean come on like we're probably not winning two of these games if i have to be honest and if we do we're gonna have a damn good football season so that's great the two of the four that we're most likely to win is definitely usc at home and at utah that's what i would say yeah i'd probably agree with you there 
especially do we know Utah's injury situation? Is that going to I saw get that better at some I point? saw that Moss and Huntley are likely to be out this week. Okay, so nothing season ending there. Or yeah, anything. yeah, I don't think so. But we, that outside of last year when we had kind of given up all hope on the season by that game. That, ser- that game is usually pretty close, mm-hmm. regardless of how good the teams are on either side of the ball. So they're good, and they're not a great matchup for us. Their D-line is insane this year. But at Oregon, it's pretty unlikely. And Washington is definitely the toughest matchup for us year in and year out, even though that's a home game. So to me, the other two are the obvious choice. I think USC at home is definitely the most winnable of the four. Yeah. Wyo Buff asked, I saw a lot of Bishrat in the ASU game, not so much Harris. Is there an injury or is Jalen in the doghouse? Would be interesting to hear a quick discussion on the tight ends. So Harris did play a little bit, and I noticed they were using Bo Bishrat um, as a blocker on some run plays. So yeah, I think it was, I think it was specific to some of the play calls they were doing. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. I, I could We could go look at the play chart, I guess, but I don't think Bishrat played more than Harris did. He didn't play much, but you happen yeah. to notice him on that one run. Yeah, I mean, he, run. Had a, he had a catch. So, I mean, he obviously was out there. Harris had a drop at one point in the – I think it was the third quarter on a slant. He had a drop earlier in the game. Um, they were both out there kind of sparingly. They definitely played Brady yeah. by far the most of anyone. But, yeah, I mean, they didn't use the tight end a ton in this game. I'm sure that was intentional. You know, it's a scheme thing, and obviously the results were pretty good. There, there's going to be some games where they come out and, and you know, and, and use the tight end more, but they don't have an explosive tight end yet. Yeah, it's it's a more of a matchup thing. Arizona State has that funky alignment defensively. At Air, against Air Force, didn't Jalen Harris have four catches in that game? Yeah, I mean, he de- they definitely used him more. So I don't, I think, he had three catches on one drive at one point. Yeah, so. I, think, I think the demise of Jalen Harris is a little bit – overstated it well we had even heard in the preseason that you know brady was outperforming him yeah so he's a he's a good piece to have i'm sure he's gonna have a moment here at some point mm-hmm. i mean yeah he has a touchdown he so. came in though with like nfl aspirations uh, nothing that he's done here is you know scream that so far yeah i would have to agree there dorno nine asked the best grad transfer this year hambright or onu good problem to have this is a tough question well think of it though like Let's say Hambright wasn't here. I think Frank Phillip could be a pretty good tackle. If Onu wasn't here, yeah, yeah. I mean, those five takeaways, yeah, are a big reason why they're three and one. Yeah, so. for sure. I just that's you can definitely answer the question that way, but it doesn't say anything necessarily about those two guys specifically. I mean, it's not Onu's fault that the guy behind him right, was very right, good. Right. You know, um, I think the answer is still probably Onu just because of the impact of the turnovers that he's had in this game. But I will say that Arlington Hambright has been basically perfect so far. Will Sherman's game. been great, too. Yeah, I mean, I think both those tackles are probably getting drafted now, which is crazy to say based on where we were last year with the offensive line. So, I mean, both of yeah, you're right. Both the tackles have been very, very good. I mean, Hambright, I watched that game pretty closely, offensive line. There was one play. I saw him not making the entire game. I mean, he has been very, very good. HR Buff asked, I know we're stacked at the wide receiver position, but I thought we'd see more of Daniel Arias to this point. Is it simply a matter of depth, or do you think he's not progressed like the staff expects? Honestly, I'm a little surprised too, especially given LaVisca has been out with injury the last few games. But, I mean, they're rolling with those three dudes right now for the most part, and it's working. You know, I think I think that's the reality of the situation. Maurice Bell was in the game a little bit, almost had a catch on the sidelines in the first quarter, probably should have had a catch that basically would have sealed the game in the fourth quarter. Besides those four, though, they're not using a ton of wide receivers right now. Yeah, I think it has more to do with Maurice Bell really emerged during camp than it has to do with Arias not living up to expectations. And we said all along that 2020 is the year of Daniel Arias. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I still believe that. I think he'll be our best wide receiver next year, which is lofty, but uh, that's just how I feel. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with Katie Nixon. Uh, There's some rumblings that he wants to go with LaVisca. I'm sure he wants to. Right. But I'm not so But theoretically, if he was not around, you could see a situation where, what would it be? It would be Arias, Bell, and Dimitri Stanley as your your guys. And 
you know, Fonte. I can't wait until the whole country tells us that we have no wide receivers next year, just like they did at running back <laughs> yeah. this year, and we just laugh it off. I mean, that wide receiving core next year will be good. Very good. Wet the Beak 34 asked, busted coverage by the secondary for long gains or touchdowns seem to be the biggest issue for this defense at this point. Would you agree? Is the issue talent or experience with the defense? I mean, I agree 100%, but I will say in the ASU game, there wasn't a busted coverage. Do you remember one? So, I mean, that's an improvement. Obviously, if they can avoid those type of things throughout the rest of the season, defensively, the numbers are going to start to look a little bit better. So I will say that that was a positive sign. Um, I think the second question is kind of a 50-50 deal. There's part, there's, there, half the defense is very talented. There's guys who are excellent, could be NFL players on this defense. But the problem with the defense is they're going to go after your weaknesses. And that's what teams are going to do right now. So part of that is experience. Part of that is talent. Um, they're going to have to find ways to hide our deficiencies better than they have throughout four games. No doubt. Busted coverages were an issue. The The lack of coverage by the linebackers, the lack of pressure on the opposing quarterbacks. I know they got great pressure on that last stand against ASU and in, in, in overtime against Nebraska, but they have not consistently been getting after quarterbacks, and that sometimes makes the secondary look looks worse than it really is. Yeah, I mean, so people are going to probably, after we answer this question, people are going to say, oh, well, that slant was a busted coverage. No, it wasn't. Delrick was putting that guy inside, and Nate Lehman just wasn't where he was supposed to be on the field. It's really that simple. You know, it's not a busted coverage. That's the flaw of our defense right now. The linebackers covering being exploited. Darth Snow asked, is the backup quarterback position settled, or does that or on the depth chart mean something? Why do you care, Sky? Well, if Montez goes out, <laughs> I mean, it's kind yeah, of important. Why? Yeah, well, <laughs> let's, not, let's not live life with that thought process right now. <laughs> I, I would I'd be, like su- I would be surprised if it's not Tyler Lytle coming in there. Yes, and I'd also like to not find out. <laughs> yeah, but I think, I think it, what it does mean is that Blake Stenstrom is coming along pretty well. Yeah, I mean, you, in a practice situation, he was always going to look good because he that's the kind of guy that he is. He does everything perfectly in practice. Like, his footwork is impressive to watch. I will still say, and I've said this for the whole time, if he ends up being a starter here, that would be concerning for me. Yeah, he great kid, very polished technique. I.A. Buff asked, how are Tariq Luckett and Dylan Thomas progressing at corner? Also, Doss and Jordan on the defensive line. And Buff A.Z. asked, any word on Vatofu Savo's progress on the defensive line? He looks like one of Utah's poly assembly line of defensive line. With Mustafa's injury, the Buffs need more bodies on the defensive line. So the only two guys mentioned there, Doss and Jordan, have we actually seen in a game this year. You have some thoughts uh, on how they performed against ASU? Yeah, I thought Jordan was good. Um, I mean, he's he's never going to be – he's kind of like Samson Kafavalu. He's not going to break your – you know, he's not going to break your will with athleticism out there on the field. But Samson was big because he was so good in run support, always holding up the line of scrimmage, making plays difficult for the opponent on that side of the ball. I kind of – Janaz is not as good as him yet. But that's what he excels at. He's not going to get up the field and make a bunch of tackles for the loss. But what he does do is his job. And he holds the line of scrimmage on his side of the ball, and he did that pretty consistently in this game, changing angles for the running backs. I don't think, you know, Benjamin had more than seven or eight yards on any rush in this game. And without Mustafa Johnson, that's pretty impressive, and he was a part of that. So I thought he was pretty good. Now, on the other hand, Jeremiah Doss, I watched film on this game now twice, he was awful. I, I don't think you want him to play a lot moving forward. Um, so anybody, if you want to watch film on him, he's number 18. It was not, not a good performance from him whatsoever. So I don't think he's a guy that we're going to be able to rely on right now. Luckett and Thomas, I mean, that's like a spring ball. Even Salvao, I don't, if he was going to play, he probably would have played in the ASU game. Right. So I think we'll, we'll revisit that in the spring. But Luckett you know, was flashing big time when he made that move. And, and Traveris Tillman told me, hey, once he knows what he's doing back there, he's got a bright future. So he's a, definitely a guy we're going to be keeping a close eye on th- this spring. And Dylan Thomas, I think, is is good, uh, third, uh, third on the depth chart at star. So he yeah. might be a depth piece at star with Mark Perry, you would assume would take over that starting job. Yeah, but I also think, again, we talked about this earlier, 
well, did we talk about this in the pod? It might have been before the show. But if Maddox comes back, I think they would put Darion at star before Dylan Thomas came in the game if they needed to. That would be my guess. Wyo Buff asked, some new faces on the defensive line were heavily involved versus ASU with Mustafa out. We saw a lot of Rodman slash Jordan and Doss for the first time. Would love to hear you talk about the future of the defensive line with all these guys, as well as Austin Williams getting some good playing time. Of course, Jalen Sammy is a redshirt freshman as well. What do you think about this crew going forward? Sammy, you haven't noticed him out there much, which is a good sign, right? He had four tackles against ASU. His, ASU was his best game. Easy. Um, moved the line of scrimmage extremely well. Had a solo tackle for loss in the third quarter and a big part of the uh, big moment in the game. He was good. Very good. Um, holding two blockers, making life more simple for everybody else around him. I was very impressed with him in that game. So if he can continue to work on that moving forward, he I mean, he's a freshman. You know, at this point, he's playing well. And Williams is his backup, and he had never played defensive line until he got here. Right. And he's doing just fine. Mm-hmm. The future of the nose tackle position is solidified now for the next uh, three, four years. Yeah, I mean, Sammy's only going to get better and stronger. And he's, I think, you know, he's not as good as guys we've had in the past, you know, walking in the door. But he will get there. And as a freshman nose tackle, he has been a legitimate Pac-12 starter. So I think he has a chance to be pretty special by the time he's done. Naeem Rodman has been very good as well. Um, he looked good in that ASU game, and he's been holding his own, creating pressure a little bit as well. So, I mean, I think largely, you know, Mustafa Johnson out of this game, they pl- they played admirably. I mean, extremely well on the D-line. Very impressive performance from them. They probably need one or two more defense alignment to emerge as guys you feel really good about being out there for a lot of reps. But I'm more worried about – the fact they need to find an elite pass rusher at outside linebacker for the future than I am about the D line. I, you know, they, they have enough young bodies there where, and Mustafa you think has another year, but who is it? Uh, CBS had him getting drafted in the top 10. Like, I don't understand that. I mean, I don't want to hate on Mustafa cause he's legit, no, but yeah. he's five eleven. He's not going in the first round. I mean, like anybody who put any kind of research, he's not, you know, everyone's like, oh, okay, well, Aaron Donald can do it. First of all, Aaron Donald's six one, and he's also three hundred and twenty five pounds. Like he's and not, without an ounce of fat. Yeah, he's with three hundred twenty pounds. Yeah, he's a freak. Okay, Mustafa Johnson is not Aaron Donald. We need to. It's not happening. He's not going to be a first round pick. The NFL just doesn't do that with guys who don't have that kind of length. So I don't. Yeah, that was. I mean, they have him going ahead of Lavisca right now, which is absurd. Oli Buff asked, with the depth issues at defensive back, is Mark Perry practicing focusing? mainly on the star position or one of the other two safety positions. We're not allowed in for practice, but I believe he's just focused on the star position. Uh, he played a little bit. Was it just on special teams against ASU? Yeah, he played on special teams. He but was out there. Was he out on defense at all? Not that I noticed. I didn't notice him out there yeah. either. I think he's just focusing on starts. We've heard you know, just the transition from guys that are veterans learning this new defense has been a tough transition. So for a true freshman coming in, yeah. if you're at the star position, you're not swimming. Probably yeah, swimming. Yeah. You don't want to starfish. Six six three five Bam asked, Did I miss news on Ray Robinson? Is he still with the team? Still getting back to full health? Based on the size slash speed slash skill demonstrated in high school, I would think he would help out at star or safety in the future. I mean, yeah, I loved him coming out of high school before he got injured. I thought he was going to be very good here, so I'm going to take an L on this one, though. I think he just never came back healthy from his injury, or at least he he wasn't the same guy. So, I mean, I hope to be proven wrong because I loved him coming out of high school when he was at Highlands Ranch, but, yeah, I just don't I don't see it right now. He was banged up for the Nebraska game, but he's actually played in the other three games, and he's tied with Bo Bisharat for second on the team in special teams points. So it's not like he doesn't have a role in this team, and I – uh, to your point, I think, unless we hear otherwise, that's probably his role going forward. He is with the inside linebackers, but, uh, yeah, that's not he's not really in the mix there. Wyobuff asked, a lot of questions from Wyobuff here. He asked, who are likely redshirt candidates at this point? I know it could play out differently depending on injuries, but a discussion surrounding which freshmen have already been in the mix and which are not likely to contribute would be interesting. Also, would be curious on if you expect some non-freshmen to get redshirt years, i.e. Frank Phillip. Love the podcast. Thanks. 
Do you want me to run down the list of guys that are probably slated to redshirt at yeah, this I mean, point? I guess we can. I, I don't think anybody on the list is going to surprise anyone. So no. I don't know how. Brad, Braden Huffman Dixon. Yeah. Vontae Chenault. All four of the freshman offensive linemen look like they're going to redshirt. Uh, Austin Williams, Jake Wiley, Valentin Sen, and Nico Pohahau. I still feel like I'm butchering his last name. Uh, Coach Cap was on the KOA radio show last week, and he kind of went out of his way to say that Austin Williams and Jake Wiley, he likes their potential for the future. Just throwing that out there. Um, who else is going to redshirt here? Two of the four true freshman defense alignment, Jaden Simon and Lloyd Murray, unless you get a bunch of injuries, it looks like those two guys are slated to redshirt. Uh, yeah. The outside linebackers, Alec Pell and Joshka Gustav, looks like they're going to redshirt. Inside linebacker Marvin Ham looks like he's going to redshirt, which sounds like he's got a really bright future, but needed, I think, a little time in the weight room um, and to learn this defense. Cornerback DJ Oates, I mean, you knew that right, right away that he was going to redshirt. And then maybe Tariq Luckett. We'll see how things go there corner. Mark Perry has only played in one game so far, so he could theoretically play in three more and still redshirt. One thing that did surprise me... He hasn't been on special teams in every game. Nope, just one game, ASU. That that's was his only, debut. That's the only time Correct. he's played. Because okay. yep. he had a tackle on ASU, so he for sure played there. Yeah, I double-checked that. One okay. thing that surprised me a little bit is Joe Davis, Drew Rational running back, has actually played on special teams in, in every game. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, he's, he's on kick return. So I, either they like him in that role or they're working his way through the program. I guess we'll see. Yeah. I mean, they could just be trying to break up the classes a little bit, too. So those are the guys. And in terms of guys that he mentioned, Frank Phillip, you got to have Hambright and Will Sherman play the whole season, or I guess as long as Phillip doesn't play more than four. So yeah. that's what you're aiming for there. That would be huge yeah, for they, Frank Phillip if you could pull that off. Yeah. And it, it, it's <laughs> six months ago, you would have been like, yeah, there's no way you can redshirt him. He's not going to be here. But he seems to have really bought in mm-hmm. to, to what this staff is doing. So that's nice. And I think he gets it from his perspective, too. You know he's going to have a chance to come in and play if he redshirts this year with a couple more years to go. Um, I would think Will Sherman's probably going to go to left tackle next year, and they're going to try to put Frank Phillip at right tackle, which is probably more natural for him. Mm-hmm. One guy that I'm actually excited that might be able to redshirt because I like the thought of him coming back for another year is Darion Jones, the tight end. As long as Brady Russell, Jalen Harris, those guys stay healthy, you could bring him back as a fifth-year senior, and he's actually he needs another year in school to get his degree, so he's going to need to be around in Boulder anyway. So yeah. he's got potential. Yeah, I mean, I think the only other one, and this is unlikely because it sounds like the injury wasn't that bad, but maybe Aaron Maddox. Does he have a red shirt still? If he, he does. Come it back does healthy? sound like he could be back mid to late October, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's likely going to come back, but if there was any complications there, getting yeah. an extra year out of Maddox wouldn't be the end of the world either. As a result, Jamar Montgomery hasn't. I think he's played in two or three games. hasn't played quite played in four. I don't know, uh, but you know, with a guy like that, if he isn't showing you a ton on defense, you're not as concerned about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, JUCO transfer Quinn Perry probably going to redshirt, and then the JUCO transfer tight end Luke Stillwell. I mean, that had to happen because he had just transfers. Yeah, he had just moved from quarterback to tight end midway through his true freshman year. So. He can't play this year. Anyway. He can if oh, he, he wants can? to. Oh, okay. Yeah, for some reason I thought it's he such would. a weird deal. What do they call that? A blue shirt. Blue shirt. Yeah. So they couldn't host him on an official visit, so he came out for a three-day unofficial. They couldn't do an in-home visit with him, and that means you can count him ahead to the 2020 class. Yeah, he could play in 2019. The, the whole thing seems kind of off to me, that rule. Yeah, that is definitely a weird rule. But Okay. Black and gold, Josh asked, is there a scenario in which you see Visca coming back next year? I'm sorry, I couldn't hold it in. No. Literally 0% chance. And there's no scenario in which he should come back. No. You got to maximize your earning potential. Still, still no. Just no. <laughs> Is there anything we can even add to that? No. He's about to make a boatload of money. What are you doing over there with Spelling your Spelling no with my hands. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Padillac13 asked, at this point in the season, what do you expect the number of non-graduates to leave the program to be after the season? This could be kids going pro, Medically, medical retirements, transfers, etc. Do you see this number being higher than average? And if so, do you think we have a bigger recruiting class in anticipation? I don't know why, but that question like 
joggled my brain. He just wants to know, is attrition going to be higher than average, basically? I don't think so. I mean, LaVisca's gone. We just talked about that. Right. Um, we'll see a couple other guys maybe. I mean, I think there was concern that Nate Landman would leave early. I would be pretty surprised based on his play so far this year if that was a possibility. They did already get a lot of dead weight off the roster after yeah. spring ball. Yeah, I don't see. I mean, there's not a lot of guys who I'm like, wow, they're really wasting their time here at this point. There's a few guys if you go up and down the list. There always yeah, is. Right. You know, like that's just natural. I mean, no, I don't think it's going to be any more than an average offseason. I really don't. There, I mean, like there always is, there has to be attrition. CU has only 15 scholarship seniors and they have 17 verbal commitments. They're going to sign somewhere 22 to 25. And when they do that, there will be a few CU fans that freak out about them oversigning. And then it always works out. Come August camp, they'll have open scholarships for walk-ons. It seems yep. like it happens like that every single year. Mm-hmm. Wild Buff asks, grad transfers have had a big impact this year. Where should we look at grad transfers for next season? I'm expecting quarterback. Do you agree? How about at other positions like outside linebacker, cornerback, safety, or outside line? Guessing it is too early to have targets, but we'll love to hear a discussion on where you expect us to plug in some grad transfers or even additional JUCOs. Thank you for putting in the part at the end where it said it's too early. (laughs) I was like, I don't know. We don't even know who's available, man. I mean, in terms of positions, yeah. I mean, quarterback is definitely going to be in consideration. If you can get a big name there, I'm sure they'll go after one. Safety would be nice. Yeah, safety for sure. I don't really see O-line as being super huge need. You know, you have Sherman and Phillip and all three. Well, no, there's a guard gone too. Lynott is a senior, right? Casey Roddick could step in there, move Purcell into center. Yeah, so I don't see too much of a need at the offensive line. Um, Corner... We'll have to see injury wise how that thing goes and if they like the JUCO guys. Yeah, they only um, they only lose Abrams. They bring Nigel Bethel Jr. from Miami as a transfer. They've got two JUCO corners already verbally committed. I think they're going to be. We mentioned Tariq Luckett. Sounds yeah. like he's got a bright future there. KJ Trujillo. They're they're fine there. I think. And I don't. Is, is Changum a senior? Yes. Okay. So that and shame on the last staff for not redshirting him. Right. So outside linebacker with I mean maybe. I don't know. I don't see it as a dramatic need. They don't. Well, they got they Guy Thomas, long. who's already played, you know, right. a little bit at Nebraska, playing yeah. JUCO this year. And coming Car- in. Carson, obviously, you don't really need to replace him, and he's the one that's going to be on the field more than anything. The other, you know, the other outside backer doesn't play a ton. So, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm obviously very high on Alec Pell. I'm a little surprised he's not playing this year, but I mean, yeah, I would think he's going to get a shot to come in and compete next year. Uh, quarterback is the most obvious one, right? Mm-hmm. Brendan Lewis is having a great senior season. Maybe is it – I don't know if I've been higher on a quarterback commit in all these years. I think he's really good, but ASU is doing it. Some teams are able to pull it off. JT Daniels at USC last year. But you bank your season on a true freshman quarterback coming in, That that's tough. Yeah. Even ASU, they had – like three quarterback signees, right, last year? And, I mean, what makes it easier is obviously JT Daniels came in and that wide receiver core is insane. So that is nice. If if LaVisco is back next year and you could start a true freshman with LaVisco on the field, maybe you start to be a little more comfortable. But, I mean, ASU has, you know, Benjamin. You know, like guys who are elite college athletes that you can kind of make the transition a little bit earlier. I think this team is good next year offensively. They have talent, but... There's no LaBisca on next year's roster. Yeah. Go Buffs 80 asked, after watching the first four games, what recruit, what recruits slash needs are must have in the 2020 class? Talked a little bit about this. Um, just dudes. Just dudes. Tight end, for sure. And they have Caleb Fourier verbally committed. They need another guy there. Yeah, I mean, at this point, you're just trying to get the best players at all the positions. That that's how you become an elite program. You're not worried about a freshman coming if if you're worried about a freshman coming in and plugging a gap in your defense or your offense, you're not good enough yet. Yeah, I mean if you if you had to pick spots, safety would be another one up there. Yeah. I mean yeah, I think inside D, linebacker maybe. D line. You just you need to start getting some elite D linemen. Yeah. Maybe another star that could back up Mark Perry. Yeah, I think because that's such a specified position, it's you're going to have to recruit that position hard for sure. 
Jim underscore Leahy asked, after two big wins with Brendan Rice in attendance in Michigan's struggles, has CU moved into the lead with his recruitment? Brendan Rice actually had homecoming. He didn't get to go to the ASU-CU game, but he uh, watched it on TV and was pretty impressed. I, I submitted a crystal ball after his visit to CU just to tease it a little bit, and I haven't changed it, so there's that. I mean, yeah, you know more than I do for sure, but it does seem to me that he's playing all sides a little bit. There might be a little bit of that. Yeah, so I am going to be classic me and take the wait-and-see approach. Okay. Because I think everybody on his list thinks they're getting him right now. Okay. And I hope to be wrong. Cheyenne DeBuff asked, What a month for our basketball team. I'm so excited. I'll let you choose the topic on CU basketball. But while you're thinking, how about what will it take to get casual fans excited about this program again? I'm not. I mean, if you don't, if you're not excited about this program, that's a you problem, man. He's talking about casual fans. I know. And we know what the Coors Event Center was like there about midway, you know, what five, what was the peak? Spencer Dinwiddie's yeah. last year. Mm hmm. I mean, yeah, that I mean, building was electric. We haven't quite, we've seen it snippets here and there, but it hasn't been consistent on any level. That Kansas game was the best CU related atmosphere that I can see happening. Honestly. I mean, that, the Albuquerque uh, March Madness game was definitely way up there, too. I mean, when Colorado basketball is good, that place is fun. Really, really fun. And I know we weren't talking about him. I'm saying casual fans. Like, if you can't get excited about what this team could potentially do, you just don't like basketball. And that's a mistake on your part, but you do you. For it to be the cool thing, you know, competing in the the conference season, if you're, like, in the top two or three spots in the standings and you have a legit chance to win it, I think that's when you kind of see that start to creep back in. The one thing I will say about Tech, like, they've never finished in the top four in the Pac-12, despite, for the most part, being consistently good under his tenure here. So, yeah, definitely getting into that next tier where they're competing for conference titles, not conference tournament titles, but conference titles, I think would probably sell some people a little bit more. I will say their schedule is really tough this year, but I think what's hard in terms of a casual fan is all the home games still suck. There's not a lot of games that people are going to get excited about at home, and that's frustrating because you want to play – elite teams at home and create those atmospheres you know their schedule overall is going to be one of the best in the country and they'll have a tournament resume almost regardless of their record because of it but none of those games are going to be specifically for the fans to enjoy which is tough he mentioned it being a a big month for the basketball team i think he's referring to the recruiting situation here with Keyshawn bartholomew great name a canadian eh? a a is a late addition to 2019 as FT, uh, he classified. This was a guy that probably goes to prep school and blows up and maybe CU doesn't you know, have a legit chance to get him. He can comes, comes in. As long as McKinley stays healthy, he's going to redshirt. You get him acclimated, he gets to practice with the team. Just a great deal all, all around with him. He's very good. Big-time fan of this. Um, I'm going to be curious to see. Maybe they get him on the team and they decide to play him this year. I mean, who knows? If if they think they can make it work. so But they don't. Know. If, even if he is really good, they don't want to burn that year, I don't think. Well, I mean, if he's that great, if he's going to the NBA, but, I mean, that's yeah. you know what that I mean? would be like, a good problem to have, obviously. Yes, I don't think it's, I don't think it's the <laughs> likely scenario. But, yeah, I mean, if you can't keep him off the court, this team is already going to be pretty solid. I don't think you would sit him if you really thought he could take you to that next level of, like, potentially could we be a top-10 team. But we'll see. I think largely this is a great a a great job recruiting by the staff because it's an unusual situation and they were able to manipulate it into a way that it was a positive for CU um, and for him as well. So that was really creative on their part. And I think you know if everything goes well, he's going to be right there, ready to take the reins from McKinley. Dominique Coleman and Kim English. Great players coach. Oh, Bright, Anthony Bright, Coleman. I was like, what oh, Anthony talking? Coleman. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but Kim English, you know, yeah. great players coach, bright future, maybe not in Boulder long enough for us to say I, that he wasn't a great recruiter, but the results. He wasn't didn't a great recruiter up. here. Right. That I will say. And I, but I will say we heard a lot that he didn't love it in Boulder. 
that he just never really felt like he fit in that well here. And that that's weird. because It's hard to sell a kid on coming somewhere. If you don't, you don't yeah. yeah, if you're not really sold on being here long term, I could see that being tough. So, I mean, listen, the kids loved him. And mm-hmm. him and Ken are still on social media talking to each other all the time. And I appreciate what he did here. And I think he's going to be very, very successful as a head coach someday. But, yeah, it definitely – the. We didn't get what we thought we were going to get out of him here. That's You couldn't argue against that. Did I say Derek Coleman? No, you said Dominique Coleman. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm combining, combining names here because, yeah, yeah 24 sports four-star prospect Dominique <laughs> Clifford, a combo guard from Colorado Springs, joins Luke O'Brien as a verbal commit for the 2020 class. Really interesting story here. Coleman was at CU's elite camp the prior summer, and he was six foot, and they didn't even put him with the elite group. Yeah. This summer he comes in, he's six four, and he's the best player at the camp by far, and the staff's going, Hmm, we might need to offer this kid. And yeah. he ended up picking up was it uh Stanford and Oh Oklahoma couple, State? Oklahoma State Washington too. State offered him, yeah, I think. There, you go. there was that some uh, yeah. And I mentioned he's a four star prospect. Uh it happens and you don't see this happened all the time because sometimes with basketball, when they're eighth graders, you kind of have a, mm. f- a sense for who's really good. So it's got a cool story. A, a local kid, yeah. no less, really blows up and, and picks the buffs. It's going to remind some people of the Derek White situation for sure. With, I don't, I'm not going to say he's Derek White because we got to chill. Yeah. But, you know, same kind of thing where he was really underdeveloped for a large part of his high school career. And then all of a sudden now he's blown up. And I, I think – I love these kind of stories. And Spencer Dinwiddie was the same way, for example. He was really small until he wasn't. And he had those point guard skills in a 6'5 body. That is a rare talent. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people have that. And it's why Anthony Davis, who's 7 foot, is as special as he is. Because he played point guard his whole life because he grew 10 inches in high school. Those type of kids are scary to play against. Because he's – he reminds me, honestly, he plays a lot like Deshaun Schwartz. And people are going to be like, oh, okay, well, he's been all right. But – Sean Schwartz is going to be a good college player. And he does a lot of things really well, which when he plays well, you can you see what that means. You know, he can do a lot of different things in the court. And you can play Dominique Clifford with a lot of different guys. And you need that in a roster. I think yeah. he's going to be a guy that people look back at in three years, and they're going to wonder how did he have one, two, or three offers by the time he got to Colorado for sure. And it makes sense. He grew four inches in a year. He's crazy lanky. He's mm-hmm. obviously going to have to mature a little bit. But yeah. if you go four inches in a year, you're going to have to kind of fill out. It, it's, your body's going to have to catch up to itself. Sure. I mean, but Spencer Dinwiddie was lanky too. Mm-hmm. And by the time he was done at CU, he was big dude. I mean, to this day, he's I mean, he's a specimen at point guard, even in the NBA. So, um, you know, I don't know if he's going to develop like that. But if he finds a way, he's going to be very, very, very scary for Colorado. Tari Eason is a big man that came out on an official visit. It sounds like between USC and Colorado, most likely there. So he could be another guy that could be added to this recruiting class before that early signing period. Tad Boyle squad is actually set to conduct their first practice on Friday morning. They're going to host an exhibition game against Pomona Pitzer on Saturday, October 26th, then play Arizona State in their season opener in China at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Time on Friday, November 8th. I wonder what time that would be over in China. You're going to tell them about Pomona Pitzer? Break them down for me, Tyler. No, do you know why they're playing Pomona Pitzer? No. Because Tad's kid plays on the team. Oh, okay. Yeah, pretty sweet. I like that. Cool story. Hopefully he doesn't put 30 on us. (laughs) So that's going to be exciting. Chase is actually going to be covering the first practice. Because of the bye week, I'm actually... uh, Headed up up to Estes Park for a night, but I'm going to get in there, Coors Event Center, open practices, yay. Get to see a lot of basketball here in the next month or so before they begin that first, well, I guess it's a month basically till the scrimmage or the exhibition game. So that'll be fun. 8.30 p.m. here. My guess is that's 5.30 p.m. Saturday in China. (laughs) Okay. I have no idea. No idea what it is. Blue Ribbon Basketball Yearbook has CU at number 14 on its preseason top 25. Buffs are top 25 on, you know, on a lot of other publications. If it was if you were doing your own college basketball preview, Tyler, where do you think you would have CU ranked in the preseason? Listen, I'm going to be honest since I haven't looked at everybody else closely enough to be able to answer this question yet. Okay. I usually do that like in October sometime. Okay. 
but we're going to get I the previews say, this year. Oh yeah, nice. I would be hard pressed to say that there are twenty five teams better than us in the country. I will say that, or at least I mean, in terms of experience, we're going to be in the top five, top ten for sure. Um, NBA talent wise, you'll have to see. Um, I, I think fourteen is probably higher than I would have them right now, just because we need to see it. It's been a couple of years since we've had that those success and win those games, but probably in the twenties is where I, would I was going to say eighteen to twenty two right range. Yeah, is where I would be comfortable putting them right now because I, I do think the Pac twelve is going to be better this year. So there's going to be some teams ahead of us in the rankings, I think, but. Um, you know, we'll just have to see how it plays out. I mean, I think everything – I mean, listen, we were pretty good down the stretch last year, and honestly, McKinley was probably – disappointing is not the right way to put it, but didn't take the leap that we thought he had, and he was obviously battling injuries the entire year, severe ones. If he's healthy and Tyler Bay takes that next leap after being really, really, really good down the stretch last year, and Shane Gatling shoots solid – Kind of like what he did maybe the last 10, yeah. 12 games of the year. And Lucas Seward can maybe not even be as good as he was in the first half of the year, but not as bad as he was in the second half. Like, if he has a solid year, this team is going to be very, very good because Evan Batty's going to be solid. And if Dallas Walton stays healthy, they're going to be a big team that can, is competent shooting the ball. I don't think they're ever going to be elite in that regard, but they're going to have the best athlete and the best point guard on the court in almost every game they play. Sounds so, like Schwartz has had a good offseason, too. Yeah. I, if it all comes together, this team is going to be a lot of fun for sure. And putting the, I mean, this is way out in front here, but then you also have to pray for a better matchup in the tournament. I mean, the Pittsburgh draw they yeah. they pulled, I mean, and that was brutal. Everyone's put, putting us in the eight nine matchup right now. It just <laughs> always happens that way, man. Like, yeah. you know, I, I, yeah, the matchup is always big, but also you don't want to play. You know who's going to be number one next year? I can't. Michigan State. Like you don't want to play Michigan State in the second round. Yeah. You know, like that. Even if you're a really good team, chances are you're not going to take out Michigan State. Yeah. That I mean, they they have they're very good next year. I mean, you think McKinley Wright's good? Their point guard is extremely extremely talented. Well, there's plenty of time to get into more basketball as we have a chance to get in there and, and watch them practice and get closer to the season opener. We've gone over an hour here on this show any final thoughts tyler whoa arizona game should be fun should be a lot of points scored october 5th at folsom field yeah i mean you know i think it's big for the team to get some continued momentum as you talked about because they're going to go on the road for two tough ones after this you don't want to come back home three straight losses oh this is all of a sudden not looking so great and you know selfishly i may or may not have see you over four with a decent amount of money on it. So getting the fourth one would be it, It's really, fun. For, for a lot of those reasons, one of the more important games on the schedule across the whole 12 games, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see a realistic scenario in which you get to bowl eligibility if you don't win this game. I mean, is it possible? Yes, but the percentages are going to go down pretty rapidly if you don't find a way to get Arizona. All right, well, we're going to wrap it up on that. Thanks for tuning in.